Hello and welcome to Discipleship, the Hard Sayings. My name is Darren Laws and I'll be your host today. Uh, we thank you for joining us and we would encourage you as well, coming up on about June 25th or on July 2nd, uh, we will be beginning a study through the book of Romans that I think will be very beneficial to us all. Uh, so we would encourage you to join us for that. We look forward to it. Uh, today we'll be looking at the issue of the sinner's prayer. Uh, we're going to look at what is the sinner's prayer and does the sinner's prayer do anything special? And most importantly, is it in the Bible? And the sinner's prayer, as most of you probably know, usually comes at the end of a gospel message. And it's a call or a response to the gospel, which is a biblical concept. Uh, Jesus always gave a call. But we don't want to be confused. There's always a required response when God's word is proclaimed. But the real question is, should that response come in the form of another person's prayer or words? The simple answer would be no, it, it shouldn't. And we will look at some scripture shortly, but the next question is, is there anything special about these words? The simple and short answer of it is no. And the third question is, is the sinner's prayer in the Bible? And again, just looking at the short answer, it would have to be no. And having said that, we're going to take a few minutes and we're going to go into a little more detail and see what the Bible has to say about this issue of the sinner's prayer. As noted, it's usually called for at the end of a gospel message to, to bow your head or close your eyes, so on and so forth. And if you desire to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, pray this prayer. Uh, we've all heard it, and then we slip up our hands. We're not going to embarrass you. We're not going to call you out. But then we turn around and tell them that if we deny Jesus before men, he will deny us before the Father. So there is sometimes a bit of deception within this sinner's prayer. Uh, let's look in Matthew chapter 3 and verse 2 with John the Baptist, and, and he kind of says it this way. He just says, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And Jesus repeats this in Matthew four seventeen: Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so we need to look at what repentance is, first of all, because sometimes when we hear this sinner's prayer, we, we hear them say, repeat this, that I repent of my sins and I need your forgiveness. <clears throat> and that is a true statement, but we need to know what repentance is. And one of the better definitions that I've found comes from Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, and it says this, Repentance means that you realize that you are a guilty, vile sinner in the presence of God, and that you deserve the wrath and punishment of God, and that you are hell-bound. It means that you begin to realize that this thing called sin is in you, and that you long to get rid of it, and that you turn your back on it in every shape and form. You renounce the world, whatever the cost, the world in its mind and outlook, as well as its practice. 
and you deny yourself and take up the cross and go after Christ. Your nearest and dearest in the whole world may call you a fool or say you have religious mania. You, have, you may have to suffer financially, but it makes no difference at all. That is repentance. So we can see through the scripture a command to repent, to turn from sin, putting our faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Seems a lot different than pray this prayer. So does the sinner's prayer do anything special? No, those words, they don't do anything. However, there is cases where folks have been saved through this sinner's prayer, or better yet, in spite of this sinner's prayer, and that's because of God's sovereignty and God's grace and mercy. But the most important question we're going to look at is, is it in the Bible? And it's not in the Bible. The sinner's prayer is nowhere to be found. Nowhere do you hear anybody say, pray this prayer. Uh, they didn't say, repent and pray this prayer and ask me into your heart. These words just are not found anywhere in the scriptures. So that leaves us with a logical question then of what is in the Bible in regard to a response to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Before we take a look at this, let's, uh, before we look at some scripture on the issue, I think it's important to note that the fear of the sinner's prayer is this. I don't know about you, but how many times have you ever asked somebody, are you a Christian or are you saved? Do you follow Christ? And they say yes, and then you ask them how or why, and they come back with a response kind of like, well, 15 years ago I was at church and, and I prayed this prayer and I was baptized. And that's their reasons for why they're saved and how they know that they're saved, because they prayed this prayer out of the sincerity of their heart, and now they're born again. But yet a lot of them don't go to church, they don't read their Bibles, but yet because they prayed this prayer, they're saved. And this is a scary place to be. It's a deception, unintentional, I believe, but nevertheless, it is a deception. And we even get a little certificate. And we're even told sometimes that we need to remember this date, that we need to know this date. And if we don't know this date, then there's a chance that we might not be saved. And that's just not true. What matters is, am I following Jesus Christ today? Am I doing it today? Not because of anything I've done, but because of the finished work of the cross. But we're going to take a look at a couple biblical examples of a response given when people understood the holiness of God and who God was and who they are in light of it and this is not going to be exhaustive by any means uh, this is going to be very brief uh, we could spend days talking about this subject and going through the scripture but the first one we're going to look at is a very well-known one in isaiah chapter 6 uh, 1 through 5 we're going to read he says in the year that king uzziah died I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, 
high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And here's Isaiah's response to this amazing vision of the glory of God and him sitting on his throne. And with the seraphims and their response, they had six wings. Two, they covered their face. This showed their reverence before a holy God. And with two, they covered and bowed to their feet. This showed humility. And with two, they flew, showing their service to the great king. But this is how Isaiah saw himself in light of this. Then said I, says Isaiah, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. That's an amazing response, because when he saw the king, the Lord God Almighty, His holiness, His glory, it caused him to truly look at himself in light of that. And he pronounces a curse upon himself because of his sinfulness. But even if we keep reading, we see the graciousness of God. As Isaiah pronounces this curse upon himself it then says in verse 6 it says then flew one of the seraphims unto me having a live coal or a hot coal in his hand which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar and he laid it upon my mouth and said lo this hath touched thy lips and thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged And also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. A beautiful picture of salvation. Isaiah pronouncing a curse upon himself. Understanding who he is in light of the holiness of God. But God being merciful cleanses him of all his iniquity and because of that Isaiah says send me here am I send me we get another example in Luke's gospel in chapter 5 when there was a great catch of fish uh, chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 We'll go ahead and just read it. And it says, And it came to pass that as the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two ships standing by the lake, but the fishermen were gone out of them and were washing their nets. And he entered into one of the ships, which was Simon's, and prayed him that he would thrust out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people out of the ship. And when he had left speaking, he said unto Simon, Launch out into the deep, and let down your nets for a drought. And Simon answered 
answering, said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night, and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word I will let down the net. And when, then, and when they had had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in another ship, that they should come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. When Peter realized who Jesus Christ was, when he saw that Jesus Christ had authority over everything, even the fish of the sea, he understood who he was in light of that. And he bowed down before Christ and says, Depart from me, because he didn't want Jesus Christ to be in the presence of his sinfulness. These are some proper responses when we understand who God is. And if we have a proper gospel message, then that's going to present the proper God. It's going to present the God of the Bible, the holy God, the just God, the God that's going to judge sin. Uh, it's going to present that God, and it's going to help us understand, too, as people, that we're sinners. Ever since the fall, we're all sinners, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So all of us fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And we get another example of this in, in Luke chapter number 18 dealing with the Pharisee and a tax collector. And Jesus gives us this in, in, in uh, chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. It says, And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves, trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing far off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. And we get another example of this, even in Job. Uh, in the last chapter, chapter 42 of Job, after God declares who he is to Job. Uh, after Job has many questions and, and his friends and, and everything that was going on. And, and God commences to tell Job exactly who he is. And at the end of all that in chapter 42 in the first six verses, it goes like this. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withholden from thee. 
who is he that hideth counsel without knowledge? Therefore have I uttered that I understood not, things too wonderful for me which I knew not. Here I beseech thee, I will speak, I will demand of thee, and declare thou unto me. I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eyes seeth thee. Wherefore I abhor myself, and repent in dust and ashes. So here we see Job repenting uh, for even questioning what God was doing. Uh, very, very good book of the Bible to read. I would encourage you to do so if you haven't. Um, so we see here that repentance, we see seeing the glory and holiness of God and, and who He is truly and put into perspective who we are, uh, our sinful, wretched selves. Isaiah 64, 6 says that all of our righteous deeds are as filthy rags. All of them. Anything that we think is good is useless. It's no good. In the sight of God, in light of who He is, in His holiness, in His law, that we can't keep for even one second. We're vile, wretched, wicked people. And unless we understand that, there can be no salvation. So we have to be very careful. This, this sinner's prayer can be very deceptive. And none of them, I don't think, means it that way, but it can be. Because it can cause us to think that we're saved because we sincerely meant some words. And I get that. But I also understand that in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10, it's very clear that it tells us that there's a godly sorrow that worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of or to be regretted. But then it also tells us that there's a sorrow of the world that works death. Two different kinds. Two different kinds. And I think we have to be very careful. All because we see somebody crying and asking forgiveness and, and all these things. And we say, man, there was, God was really moving in them because of all the tears. Well, that's not necessarily true. Just like a child, when he gets caught for doing something wrong, he is now sorrowful because he got caught for what he did wrong. He takes his punishment. After his punishment, he goes on about his business and will likely do it all over again. Uh, tells us that in the parable of the soils, there's, there's four kinds of responses to the gospel, three of which are false responses, and only one was true repentance. Uh, it also tells us in, in Matthew uh, chapter 7 and, and verse 13 to enter the narrow gate. The narrow gate, which means that there's not a big broad way to get there. You know, it's, it's, not, a, it's not a wide gate that leads to heaven. Uh, it's a very narrow gate. It says to enter in at the straight gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. And many there be which go in thereat. These are two gates. There's a wide and there's a narrow. And the thing about these two gates is, is 
It's giving the idea that they both are going to lead to heaven. So there's many people going down a road that they think is going to lead them to heaven. And it's not. Verse 14 of Matthew chapter 7 says that because straight is the gate and narrow is the way which lead unto life, and few, few there be that find it. It's not going to be very many. And there's going to be a lot of deception between here and there. Uh, sadly, a lot of people will be deceived. There's going to be a lot of people thinking that they're going to heaven, and, that, and they're not. Uh, in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, he says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Verse 22, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Scary words. And in my opinion, some of the scariest words in all of Scripture. Because this is talking about the people that are in the church. This is talking about the people that are even serving in the church. And maybe even some pastors, some teachers. Uh, it's talking about people that, that, that truly think that they are serving Christ. Only to find out that they were not. And I fear sometimes that this could be a deception that comes from praying this prayer and, and banking on your salvation because of this prayer. And now I know people that have prayed this prayer and gone on in their walk with Christ, and that prayer is not really thought of anymore. They lean on the finished work of Jesus Christ, and that's the, the grace of God. But I also fear that there's many, many people that are being deceived because they prayed this prayer. They think now, because we, we teach and the scripture teaches that once you're saved, you're always saved. And we follow that up if you're truly saved. But that just raises a lot of questions. Somebody who's saved generally knows they are because they know what true repentance is. They understand 2 Corinthians 5.17 that they've been made a new creature old things are passed away and behold all things become new and they start to understand even in ephesians chapter 2 they understand that they were dead in their trespasses and sins dead dead people can't do anything and they understand that and they understand that it was god who was rich in mercy that for his great love wherewith he loved us even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace ye are saved. And verses 8 and 9 and 10 of Ephesians chapter number 2, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them our salvation is a work of god is a supernatural work it's a miracle salvation is the most amazing miracle that you can think of it's better than any physical healing it's better than anything else 
that can ever happen in this galaxy because somebody who is truly born again has been spiritually risen from the dead already and given newness of life and not only that but given eternal life forever and ever and ever and even in Acts 16:14 we read about Lydia whose heart the Lord opened to understand the truth and the Lord saved her and so we understand that this is a supernatural act of God that salvation is truly a miracle it's a work of the Holy Spirit and in Luke uh, we also read in, in chapter 9 uh, something we need to consider in our salvation as we're hearing the gospel and we're seeing who God is and we're understanding more of who God is and, and therefore we're understanding more of who we are we come across the passage or we, we, we hear something like this that in Luke 9 23 Jesus speaking says if any man will come after me let him deny himself take up his cross daily and follow me for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? That's a horrible, horrible thing to think of. But the gospel brings us to a place of repentance. It brings us to a place that we're at the end of trying to save ourselves it brings us to a place of humility and mourning and hatred of our sin and understanding that there is nothing that we can do about it nothing at all luke's gospel goes on to tell us in chapter 14 that we're to count the cost chapter 14 verse 27 he says whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple for which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and count the cost whether he have sufficient to finish it we have to sit down and consider these things it's not done on a spur of the moment it's not done even when we ourselves seem to think we're ready you hear people all the time saying they prayed the prayer three, four, five times. They keep asking Jesus into their heart. And nowhere in the Bible does it even tell us to ask Jesus into our heart. Nowhere. Sometimes we confuse uh, some scripture out of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. Sometimes we confuse when it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock, and if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Sometimes we confuse that in saying that, that Jesus is standing outside knocking on the door of our heart, and there's a lock on the inside, and we have to unlock that to let him in. And that just is not the concept of Revelation chapter 3 and verse 20. He's standing outside the door of a church, literal church, wanting inside because this is a nominal church uh, by name only. And Christ is on the outside. And if one person would be saved within that building, he would be in that church. Uh, so we, we take some things sometimes out of context such as that.
So it's important for us to understand that it is, in fact, a, a work of God. It's not Jesus standing there just waiting on us to open the door of our hearts uh, with, without the drawing of the Holy Spirit, without the supernatural work of being regenerated. We would never come to Christ. Romans 3 is clear about that in uh, chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. Um, it's, it's very clear that we're just not seeking after God, that we're just not looking for Him on our own. He says, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one, and there is none that understandeth. There is none that seeks after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. And there is none that doeth good, no, not one. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have, have used deceit, the poison of asps, is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness, and their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known. And here's the key to it. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Um, very strong words there uh, that we read in Romans from Paul to his letter to the Romans. And we also now come to Second uh, Corinthians thirteen five, and he tells us like this: to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know ye not your own selves how that Jesus Christ is in you, except you be reprobates? So it's important that we examine ourselves. It's important that we don't look at ourselves and say, "Well, because I prayed this prayer." I'm born again, um, because that's just not the case. You can be saved in, sp in spite of that prayer, but I scarcely think that you'd ever be saved because of that prayer. Uh, I just I don't find it in the Scripture. Um, in John chapter 3, Jesus told Nicodemus that you must be born again. Uh, he didn't say he had to pray a prayer. He told him he had to be born again. Nicodemus kind of questioned that, talking about how can I be born a, a second time? Uh, but Jesus went on to tell him, He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, Ye must be born again. And in verse 8, he kind of tells us how this happens. He says, The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but cannot tell whence it cometh, and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. It's a work of God. A supernatural, sovereign work of God. It's not based on a prayer I prayed. It's based on a work that He's done. It's based on the faith that He's given me and the grace that He's given me to put my faith and trust in Him and the finished work of the cross. That's what it's based on. And so that just brings me to close this up, and I know it went a little long, um, but to close this up with the fact is this is an invitation biblical, and yes, an invitation is very biblical. They're all through the Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, doesn't matter where you want to read. God's always calling people to Himself, always. Isaiah 
45:22 says look unto me and be ye saved all to all the ends of the earth for i am the lord and there is none other uh, matthew 11 one of the most precious invitations jesus gives is in chapter number 11 verses 28 to 30 and he says come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. That's one of the most precious and gracious invitations our Lord ever gave. And the only ones that are going to respond to that invitation are the ones who have labored and are burdened, who are mourning over their sin, who understand that there's no religious works that can get them there. There's nothing that can bridge that gap between them and God. They've worked themselves till they can work no longer. Just as the Pharisees put the, the heavy religious burden, the impossible burden on people, Jesus removed that. He removed that yoke because of His finished work. He did all the work. All of it. We don't do any of it. We don't have to pray to ask Him into our heart. We have to acknowledge His finished work on the cross. We have to repent of our sins, die to ourselves, put our faith and trust in Him. That's how we respond to the gospel. So on that note, I just pray that if anybody's listening and they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, that they would truly repent and turn to Him and put their faith and trust in Him. He is the only way to bridge that gap between us and God. The only way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. That's it. None other than Jesus Christ. The name above all names. He's the only way that we can come out of death into life. The only way that we can come out of darkness into his marvelous and glorious light. So with that, I'm going to close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. You're such a great and merciful and awesome and mighty God. And we just thank you for who you are. We thank you for the forgiveness of sins. We thank you for the gift of salvation that you give freely to all those whom you have chosen. And we just pray if anybody's listening, if it doesn't know you, that you might convict them of their sin, that you might do that supernatural work in their lives, that you might draw them to yourself and grant them repentance, that they might repent of their sins and put their faith and trust in you, and we'll give you all the praise and glory for it, as it's your great and awesome and mighty work with every soul that is born again. And we just pray that you would open blinded eyes and deaf ears, remove hearts of stone and give hearts of flesh. Put your spirit within us that we might walk in the way that you direct us. And we just thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your goodness. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Well, we thank you for listening. And... Uh, We'll be looking forward to doing the study through the book of Romans, starting chapter 1, verse 1. And uh, we hope 
that you'll tune in for that, uh, as I think it'll be a edifying time. I know that I will enjoy it. And uh, until next time, we just hope and pray that you study the Word and grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. And may His peace be with you.